the Gilda's maximum lawyers community of legal entrepreneurs who are taking their businesses and lives to the next level. As a Guild member, you'll build relationships, be held accountable, and learn strategies specifically designed to get you unstuck and accelerate your plan for growth. Members are also granted exclusive access to masterminds hosted around the country. Our next event is coming up, and we're heading to Scottsdale, Arizona. There's something truly magical about the power of these in-person connections where real-time breakthroughs happen. Picture this. You're surrounded by like-minded law firm owners tackling your business and mindset challenges together. The energy is electric, the insights are transformative, and the results are game-changing. Investing in yourself is the best decision you'll ever make. The knowledge, strategies, and breakthroughs you'll gain are priceless assets that will supercharge your practice and propel you forward. Join the Guild and secure your ticket to Scottsdale at the best possible price by visiting maxlawevents.com. Run your law firm the right way. This is the Maximum Lawyer Podcast. Your hosts, Jim Hacking and Tyson Mutrix. Let's partner up and maximize your firm. Welcome to the show. Welcome back to the Maximum Lawyer Podcast. I'm Jim Hacking. And I'm Tyson Mutrix. What's up, Jimbo? Tyson, my friend, it's good to be with you. I've got my new standing desk, so I haven't recorded a podcast standing up in a long time, but I'm excited to do it. Nice. It is It is nice. It, and I've got a nice little setup, too, where it's it's changed over the last month and a half, where my micro... I used to have to like set up my microphone every single time because my scissor arm didn't fit the right way, but I found a perfect spot after I got my stand-up desk, and it folds away nicely, so it's always there. I just raise it up whenever I want to use it and fold it back down when I, when I don't. So it's nice having that, but it's good. It's good that you've got the stand-up desk. It's funny. So someone the other day asked me, they're like, so why do you have a stand-up desk? And, and I, and I was like, wait, I guess it's healthier. And like, it was just, I'd never gotten that. Have you ever gotten that question? Like, why do you have a stand-up desk? No. It, it seemed like such an odd question, but anyway, let's get started. All right. Well, I'm excited about our guest today. Her name is Elise Bowie. Many of our Maximum Lawyer friends will know her. She was at the Zapathon. She's fun member of the group, and she has an interesting perspective on this new reality that we find ourselves in. So Elise, and she also got up really early to be with us this morning because she's in Seattle. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Jim. I'm glad you got your stand-up desk. I hope you like it. So Elise, I, I, I usually ask the question of, hey, you know, what's your journey? And, I, and I'm going to ask that. But as a part of that, I want you to say, I want you to tell us when did you decide that you wanted to become a lawyer and, and what was it that made you make that decision? Um, we're going to have to go back a long way. Well, let's like, go all the way back. <laughs> I, I grew up with a dad who was an attorney. And so I think my whole life, I thought I would be an attorney. I mean, that was what I was fascinated with. I always thought I would do criminal defense work. I mean, that's what my dad did. That is what I loved, you know, sometimes getting to go with him to do a jail visit, like pretty cool as a kid. I just always thought that. And then when I decided, you know, went to college, I was like, no, I'm going to be a biomedical engineer. Well, after about three semesters of calculus, I realized that was not going to happen. So I then went back to my idea of being an attorney and really thought even in law school, I would do criminal defense work. I worked in the death penalty resource center in Louisiana Loved that area of the law, but then I think my student loans became really abundantly obvious to me, and I then went into that typical 
you know, big law firm. I clerked for a federal judge for two years, then got a job in a big law firm in New Orleans and did insurance defense litigation and really, you know, was just paying my bills or whatever. And, but wanted to poke my eyeballs out the whole time. I hated it. And so I then left that and decided to stay home and raise my kids. At the time, we only had, I guess, three kids and then had a fourth. And so was home with my kids for a decade before I then came back to the law and then came back and was going through my own divorce. And I mean, it's, it's a long story. I won't bore you with all that. But I then went into family law. I mean, I, you know, was doing all this stuff for myself personally. And I thought, well, we'll just go into family law. And, and that is what I did. And, and then have been doing that ever since. So I know that coming back from being gone, raising your kids had to be uh, an adjustment. Talk to us a little bit about, you know, revamping and restarting things. Oh, sure. I mean, that was really interesting, actually, because at the time I was coming back into the law was Hurricane Katrina. So, I mean, there I am living in New Orleans. My husband and I realized we need to divorce. I had been a stay-at-home mom. So, you know, I was interviewing for work. I had actually gone back to my old law firm, the insurance defense law firm initially, thinking, oh, well, I'll just go back and do that. And they were like, sure, great, you know. But Hurricane Katrina hit, I mean, within, I don't know, two weeks of this plan. So my, he's my ex-husband now, but the father of my four children, he and I decided, okay, you know, we're obviously not going to put a divorce on the forefront right now. We have a, you know, a hurricane to deal with and we evacuated. He's an attorney as well. He was a solo and is a solo attorney, does like workers' comp, social security, disability, So we evacuated to Georgia, and that's its own long story because I had a friend who was in a coma with cancer situation, and she had six kids, and I was the person kind of helping her at that time. So a lot was going on. We evacuated to Georgia and um, stayed in Georgia and just, you know, kind of decided that we were going to try to figure this out and together and, you know, work through this. So we stayed in Georgia for a year. That's where his family was from. Then we moved to Minnesota. And in Minnesota is where I really went, you know, full bore going back to work. So, you know, applying for jobs, networking, doing all the things. And I was hired initially by the state of Minnesota to be a guardian ad litem for the 10th judicial district there in Minnesota. And so, but I mean, that was a long process to get that job. I can't tell you how many interviews I did. And people were like, you are so too qualified for the job you're applying for. And I was like, I haven't worked in years, you know, like I promise I'm not too qualified and I'm not going to have an attitude. Like I will, you know, do whatever work you give me. But it was really, really hard to ramp back up. And I, I ended up writing a bunch of articles about, you know, off ramping and on ramping, because I think that a lot of us thought, you know, once you have your license, it'd be no big deal to just go back to work. But it really was a big deal. And I think that for me, it made me realize had I kept my foot in the law that whole time better, it would have been a lot easier for me to on ramp. I mean, and I think my success getting back to work when I did, despite all the the problems, I mean, you know, I am kind of like, the ultimate networker. Like I meet people, I love connecting people. And so 
I mean, I met the lady who ended up hiring me at this event and kept in touch with her and really connected with her and, you know, allowed her to mentor me to, you know, meet people there. And then when an opening came up, I mean, she, you know, I was at the top of her list and she called me immediately and was like, you know, we have an opening and yes, you're overqualified, but it will get your foot in the door. And, you know, that it did. So at least, I mean, it's kind of crazy what you've gone through. I mean, you've had to sound like reinvent yourself. I mean, are there some similarities as to what's going on now compared to what you went through back with Katrina? Oh, for sure. I mean, you know, obviously this pandemic is kind of like Katrina, but on a national level, you know, where people are just, you know, looking at things like their businesses have all shut down and there's, you know, we don't know what's going on. Like in Katrina, we all lost communication with everybody. Like cell towers weren't working and, you know, we couldn't communicate. And um, and businesses were shut down, obviously, all over New Orleans. And um, But one of the things that I find, you know, both it's hopeful is, you know, seeing the improvement in from what's happened from Katrina till now in that like at Katrina, you know, I was mentioning all the cell phones. One thing those of us that did have cell phones realized, and I mean, obviously they weren't the kind of phones we have now, but we realized that often we could still text, even though we couldn't call. But I mean, nobody texted back then. So those of us that, and and I have to say my ex-husband was somebody who was very advanced technologically. So, you know, even in that time, I mean, he had pretty much virtual practice and he was, um, you know, all into technology. So we were able to kind of do things that other people weren't. And, um, and he had a paperless office and, you know, things like that. So I think that it helped me understand a lot around what was important. And I mean, he and I had to go through this pretty intense IRS thing at the time. And I mean, I ended up doing this whole IRS offer and compromise right at Hurricane Katrina, which was And I did that on my own, really, you know, but it was for him, but it was, you know, this whole process and was able to do all of that virtually from this little tiny house in rural Georgia. But because we had all our records electronic and, you know, such that we could access them. I mean, I was able to turn a really bad situation into, I mean, a true blessing for our family. And I think I learned so much from that. And I hope that people in this pandemic can learn about really how important being, you know, maybe not virtual, maybe a lot of people want to go back to the brick and mortar office, which obviously, you know, more power to people to do it, what, how it works for them. But having the ability to access everything from wherever, I think is just critical to your disability to run your life better and I mean, we're here out in our tiny little house in the woods that, you know, we thought we were downsizing into this retirement home. And now it's, you know, our little peaceful haven. And I don't ever see a person. But I mean, I'm still able to run my entire, you know, my whole law firm and my team from my phone. I mean, I, you know, do do anything and can access anything, you know, like with all this SBA loan stuff and whatever, you know, I mean, I have... I mean, I hired somebody to do some work for me with regard to that. And he was like, well, can you get all this stuff to me in an hour? And I was like, absolutely. And he's like, okay. And got the application in and done, you know, in a matter of a few hours. 
I mean, and that's really helpful just to have everything at your fingertips. I want to get to all the lessons that you learned and all that stuff. But for a moment, I'd like to, if we can, just jump back. The hurricane is on its way to New Orleans and then the hurricane hits. Talk to us about, because I feel like right now with the pandemic that we're right in the early stages of it. So I'd like to focus, if we can, for a minute on those early first days after Katrina hit and sort of the reaction, like how it sort of hit you in the mouth. Yeah, it really did. Well, and just in typical Elise fashion, I mean, we have a wild Hurricane Katrina hitting story. Like, the hurricane was not coming to New Orleans. Like, you know, if, if we all could go back and Google, it was going to Florida. So we New Orleanians were not really paying attention. And um, I had this friend who Friday afternoon crashed, ended up in a coma in ICU, so there I am, you know, trying to help her ex-husband, who's an ER doctor, manage their children and, you know, the family and figure it all out. And so I was at the ICU on Saturday. My ex-husband called me and he's like, Elise, we need to evacuate. And I was like, say what? I'm like, what are you talking about? And he's like, we need to evacuate. This storm is coming. It's really for real. We need to evacuate. What should I pack for the kids? I mean, and he was serious. And I'm like, I've lived in New Orleans my whole life. I have never evacuated. I don't know what you are smoking. I was like, we are not evacuating. And he's like, he's like, Elise, you got to get over it. Read, you know, look at the news, do something, but we need to evacuate. So I gave him my little packing list, two of everything for every kid, two underwear, two pants, you know, two of everything. So he did that. The next day, you know, I mean, I stayed at the ICU the whole day. I come home and I'm like, oh, he is right. Like, we absolutely need to evacuate. And so I was like, well, where are we going? And he's like, well, I guess, you know, we'll go to a hotel, like just a little bit away. Well, as our finances would have it, he had settled a case, got a check on Friday, called the client and they were like, okay, you know, we'll meet on Monday and we'll do whatever, disperse all the funds. Well, I mean, to say that we had no money was an understatement. I mean, I think at the time we had $150 in our checking account. I was like, well, I don't think that'll work. I don't think hotels are going to go for our, you know, credit plan. So we ended up driving to his parents' house in Georgia, but we didn't tell them we were coming because they probably <laughs> would have said no. Like they were not, you know, the type to be thrilled with four kids, dogs, the whole bit. So we just showed up there and... So David, that's my ex, was thinking, okay, you know, I'll deal with this. I mean, he's holding this money, but it hasn't been deposited anywhere. So he was kind of freaking out, was like, I need to get this check deposited. So he actually drove to Atlanta on Monday to open a trust account in Atlanta because we couldn't access our banks in New Orleans. There was no, like, online banking anymore. Nothing worked. And he's like, I cannot hold these guys, you know, funds. I need to get them in a trust account and do whatever. So he's off doing that. And then all of a sudden on CNN, I'm sitting there and I was like, I swear that is your dad's client's wife on the news talking about her husband dying. And so it turns out it was. So, I mean, we were not only flat broke, I mean, we're in rural Georgia with his parents now with no money. And he's got this major thing he's got to deal with. And I mean, it was wild. I mean, I had no idea what was going to happen. And I mean, was pretty terrified, I have to tell you. I mean, it was scary. And I mean, here we are in a setting where, I mean, he and I are, you know, ready to divorce too. Like, so none of it's great. <laughs> and, um, and I think the way for me, I mean, I have this, I think, pretty sound resiliency, but it, 
it is related to all I did was focus on how can I make my life as normal as possible for my children at the time. That was the only thing I could control. Like everything was kind of going crazy around me and I had no control over any of it. So I decided the kids and I were just going to do our normal thing. And at the time I was a homeschool mom. So I'm like, we'll still do our homeschooling. But I mean, we, you know, it was really different. And my in-laws had this amazing swimming pool and blueberry bushes. They lived in, you know, they own like, I don't know, a hundred acres or something. So I thought we're going to swim every day and we're going to go pick blueberries and make pies. And, you know, we just did all these things that were just kind of normal, happy, healthy things. And we started horseback riding lessons. Like I found this barn that would allow us to go and muck stalls. And I mean, we mucked a lot of stalls for free lessons. And I mean, my kids have so many positive memories of our time in Georgia horseback riding. And then the, the other thing I did, my kids were all very competitive swimmers at the time. So I found a swim team. You know, I applied for aid. I was like, you know, there's no way I can pay this right now. But I said, you know, I will pay it. And the people were so nice. And so they let us join the swim team. And I'll never forget. I mean, we brought them to swim practice and it was 35 minutes away. It was a pretty big trek to bring kids to swimming. And we got back in the car after the first day of practice. And my son just said, okay, life is back to normal. We're back in the pool. And I thought, whoa. I was like, okay, that was actually a good mom move, you know? And, and so that is, I mean, I think just trying to bring control and normalcy to what you can is really important. And I mean, I probably have bad teacher advice, like teachers probably don't want to hear me, but I mean, this whole idea that everyone's thrown into homeschooling, I mean, people need to just let that go. And, you know, yeah, if you can do a little thing here and there, great. But I mean, kids learn so naturally. If you just talk to them, have conversations with them, talk about what's going on in child appropriate ways, you know, like engage them. Kids don't need worksheets and nonsensical school drills for the next, you know, four weeks to be sure that they're okay. All these kids are going to be fine. I mean, it's absurd, I think, the pressure that's being put on families to, you know, who are trying to deal with their livelihood and just with everything. I mean, there's a lot of emotions that are going on in this pandemic. And I think controlling what you can and realizing that this too will pass and you will survive and you will probably thrive from it. I mean, this will probably be a pivotal moment in your personal history. You just don't know how that's going to play out yet. So I, I want to stay on this for a second because you have an incredible mindset and this is the, the mindset is what's going to get people through this. I don't know. Is this something you learned over time? I mean, how did you have this mindset? I mean, that's incredible. I mean, you were focusing on all the right things at the right times and moving things forward. And there's a lot of people that are scared right now and they're kind of freaking out and they don't know what to do. So what's your advice on, on, on maintaining that mindset? Because you had, you had an incredible mindset. You still have a great mindset. So how did, you, how, did you, how did you do that? Well, I think for me, at the time of Hurricane Katrina, I was way into running. And I would go running, I mean, through rural Georgia, you know, for, for hours. I mean, I spent two and three hours a day on trails running. And I think, I mean, I'm no doctor or no exercise person. But I mean, I think that helped me tremendously, you know, just 
being able to clear my mind and, um, and it just lifts your spirits, you know? So I would come back to this. I mean, we lived in this pastorum next to a, a, a funeral, like there was, you know, grave sites all around our house. And I mean, the whole thing was so random, you know, after life in New Orleans, but I tried to really just have this mindset of, I mean, this is my reality right now. I mean, I have no control over it whatsoever. So, I mean, I tend to be super, you know, positive, I think, and optimistic. So I'm like, you know, what can I do as the leader of my family? That's how I thought of myself, you know, at the time, my role was really, you know, to lead our family while my husband, you know, was supposed to be earning the money. And um, so, you know, I thought of my kids as my little people, like, how can I help them be okay through this? And, um, and so, you know, now, like, I don't have little kids at home. I mean, I have, we just have a 17 year old at home, who's about to be a senior. But even that I think of, you know, the same thing, like, what can I control and, and really trying to work on that. And, I am big into, you know, like looking for outcomes, like what is the outcome you want, you know, not so focused on the problem, but what is the outcome you want? Like, and at the time of Katrina, I wanted my children to somehow come through Katrina without massive psychological damage. You know, I wanted them to come through with positive memories, despite this bad situation. And now even with my 17 year old, I mean, I want my 17 year old, though, it's kind of different. I mean, obviously, I don't want him to have psychological damage now, but I want him to understand that things are uncertain all the time. I mean, it's not just this pandemic life is uncertain. You know, you could get sick any day or your spouse could get sick or you could have a bad accident. I mean, nothing is certain. And figuring out how to to see the outcomes you want and how to problem solve towards solutions, you know, rather than getting focused and bogged down. I mean, my 17-year-old son here at our little house in the woods, he came out here and I've been, you know, at the very beginning of this pandemic, I mean, you know, I've been quarantined virtually since March 1st. So, I mean, I've been, you know, just here and very initially, I mean, literally on March 2nd, I think my husband and I sat down, my current husband, and I kind of gave him my, okay, we're in the middle of a natural disaster talk, like, you know, and I was like, we need to look at all of our finances, we need to tighten everything down, you know, as tight as we can, we need to prepare for me to have zero income, but to somehow be able to support my staff. And this was way before cares or way before whatever. So he went out and bought a whiteboard. And we literally modeled, I mean, I think I modeled 43 different things on, you know, how could we do this? How will we be okay? What expenses can we cut? And there's my 17 year old coming in and out of the kitchen watching me do all this modeling and he would stop and talk to me and be like, well, what about this? Why don't you tweak this lever rather than this? And I mean, he had some really interesting insight. And so, I mean, I had some really frank conversations with him and I thought, you know, what a great opportunity for him to understand personal finances, to understand kind of like family values, what matters to us, you know, and why is keeping my staff so important to me and how might that impact him? I mean, I've had real conversations with him around my moral dilemma of do I pay for my child to go to private school or do I save a staff member with that, that money every month? I mean, we've had some really interesting conversations. I think all that's good, and those are the things I can control. We'll pause for a word from our sponsors. Thanks to our sponsor, Smith AI. Smith AI is a superior receptionist service for law firms trusted by many maximum lawyers, including me. 
At my immigration practice, the hacking law practice, Smith's friendly U.S.-based receptionists respond to potential clients in English or Spanish, screen and schedule new leads, and even take payment for our consults. The best part is that they don't just handle these conversations by phone. They also have live agents and chatbots capturing leads on our website through their chat widget. They serve as our friendly gatekeepers while my team and I work uninterrupted. We get new clients and we get work done. How awesome is that? If you're in a solo or small firm, I know you'll appreciate this. Plans start at just $70 a month for calls and $100 a month for chats. They even offer a totally free chatbot, so there's no excuse. Try Smith AI today and see for yourself why attorneys like me say Smith AI receptionists are the secret to business growth. Smith AI offers a free trial and maximum lawyer listeners get an extra $100 discount with promo code MAXLAW100. That's M-A-X-L-A-W-1-0-0. Sign up and learn more at www.smith.ai. Trust me when I say, don't let another day go by. Try Smith AI. We're talking this morning with Elise Bowie from Seattle, Washington. Elise, talk to us about your staff and talk to us about interacting with your staff and sort of your mindset. I know I, I was surprised. I didn't realize you had so many attorneys working for you. So talk to us a little bit about your mindset and how to deal with your team. Well, first, I just love my team. I have like the greatest team on the planet right now. I just feel so, so blessed to have them. And we, um, I mean, we now are connecting, you know, very deliberately via Zoom on a regular basis. I mean, historically, we have connected through these quarterly meetings we do at my house in Seattle. I invite the whole office, you know, employees, independent contractors, everybody, they come over to my house. We do these day-long meetings. You know, I provide them breakfast and lunch, and we, you know, talk about what things are doing, like how everybody is doing. We have a lot of time just to chat and, you know, reconnect. And then we also, you know, talk about like quarterly goals and what we're doing. And so now those meetings are going to Zoom, you know, because we're all at our homes. And so we have we have one on Friday coming up and we just did one recently. And I mean, right now, I think one of the biggest things we're doing is just connecting, you know, just, I mean, we had one recently where we all just, we did it at like five o'clock and I'm like, everybody bring their glass of wine and let's just, you know, chat. And I mean, we really listened to how everybody was doing. And I mean, you know, there were a lot of tears, like people were talking about how scared they were or, you know, what was going on in their own personal life. And it was just a time for us to really connect. And I think as a a leader or, you know, I don't even know what you want to call us, but just as somebody who's kind of facilitating that whole group of people, I mean, I think it's important for us to all, you know, take a chill pill and really try to connect with our, our team in a way that resonates with them. And I think that's going to look different for every team member And so I also do these one-on-one Zoom calls. I mean, I've been doing a lot of them since this all started. And I mean, right now I've been doing them pretty much weekly where I really connect one-on-one with everybody, you know, so it's pretty time consuming. And I mean, you know, I'm doing a weird time Saturday, Sunday. I mean, whenever I'm always like, you know, whatever works for you all works for me. I try to work around all of their schedules, their families, you know, whatever. But I mean, having those face-to-face Zoom calls where they can talk to me about what's going on or, you know, we have somebody who has like a cat that all of a sudden got diagnosed with cancer in this. That was really, you know, and that's like her pet and she lives alone and she was terrified, you know, about that. But, you know, just being there for people. And I mean, I think showing 
empathy and and really asking yourself, like, how do you want to relate to people right now during this time? I mean, I think it's really important. And um, I think that bringing an empathetic ear to what people are feeling and realizing that people all deal with trauma differently. And I mean, this, you know, a lot of people don't like to call this a trauma, but it is a trauma. I mean, it's an abrupt change. And I mean, people are dealing with fear of death, maybe family members dying, you know, there's a lot going on. And I think being that kind of calm, empathetic, reasonable voice matters. So I had an interesting question from a, an employee yesterday, and she's, she wasn't a question. I guess she, she called me. She said, hey, Tyson, I just want to talk to you about something. And she's like, she's like, I don't know what the finances are with the firm, but if you need to lay people off, you can lay me off first, and I'll be happy to volunteer my time to work. And I was, it was a very, very nice gesture. But wow. it, was a, it was a very revealing question, or a comment because I don't, share, I don't share the finances with the firm. Uh, I, I, we're, we're fine because we do PI right now, right? So we're fine right now. But they don't know that. And so one of the fears that they all have is, it's like, hey, am I going to be able to keep my job? All these other people are losing their jobs. And so I had, I had talks with all of them, and I, I told them, we're fine because we do PI. And they, they're, they're, there have been rumors because you know, they, they have paralegal friends that they're all getting laid off right now because they work for defense firms and things like that. And so I just had to tell them, hey, we're fine. I, have you had to have any, any of those conversations with, with your people? Because that is one of their fears right now. Oh, absolutely. And I mean, the crazy thing is, I literally hired three new people in February that started on March 9th. Talk about some bad timing. No so kidding. those people were really concerned, obviously, because, you know, they, they literally were hired, I mean, after I had already been quarantined. So like we, we canceled their onboarding, their face-to-face -face onboarding due to this, you know, because this started kind of out here in Seattle. So we are, you know, we're so much earlier, but I mean, I, you know, I went forward and let them start and, you know, obviously not knowing just how quickly it was going to mushroom, but I mean, I had a pretty good idea it was going to mushroom, you know. So, oh yeah, I've, I've not only had the conversations, I mean, I've showed them my whiteboard. Like we, we talked through many of my whiteboards on how I modeled different things because I wanted them to all understand what I was thinking. I mean, one, because I was curious, you know, if anybody had any other brilliant ideas that maybe I wasn't thinking about, you know, but then also I wanted them to understand that you know, because one of the things I did initially was just very much say, like, you know, I will take nothing from this firm until we are 100% stable. You know, like, I'm not going to take any income. I mean, my husband, luckily, I mean, he gets two incomes. So we are going to be fine, you know, and we can cut down our living and, you know, really good. I mean, we, yeah, so I was like, we will be fine. So I wanted them to understand that I was going to do everything in my power to maintain our team. I mean, that was my highest goal. And so I also wanted them to know, though, that, you know, if I couldn't, I mean, that I've truly put thought into it, you know, that I, that I haven't just like out of panic made some decision. And I, I mean, to date, you know, everyone is fine that we are doing fine, you know, we are bringing in business. I mean, we are way ahead of even my most, you know, my biggest model. I mean, we are doing fine. So, but I mean, I know that can change at any time. And so I'm very open about it that they know and they all, they all can ask me anything. And, and I've told them that, you know, if, 
any changes occur, that I will talk to them all immediately. So, um, I mean, I think it's important to alleviate their fears, if at all possible. And I think it's also important to help them understand, because I even explained to them about some of my concerns. You know, I didn't want to lay people off because of the health insurance. We have a very robust health insurance policy in our office, and I pay for everything. And so that is a big fear, I think. You know, so I wanted to explain to them that I had already worked with my insurance person. I understood I could... I could pay for all their premiums for a certain amount of time, even after I let them go if need be. And I I assured them that I would do that, that I would not leave anybody in a pandemic without insurance. And then I talked to each staff member, very frankly, about their finances so that I could figure out if I had to let people go, kind of like your staff, Tyson mentioned, you know, who would be the first person I would let go? Because I was thinking of it more, not so much in terms of how I would make money, but in terms of how it would impact them so that we can make sure to be as, I don't know, just that my values can come out even how I handle this pandemic. What a great boss and leader you are, Elise. So let me sort of flip that a little bit. So the people on my leadership team with me have been saying to me for the last few days that I've been too positive and too overly optimistic. I, I, you know, our cases are still coming in. I'm being very realistic with the caseload and with the, the cash flow, but they think that I need to be doing a little bit more, not trying to make people fearful, but, you know, having a little harsher conversations about what might happen. And when, when do you sort of feel the right time is to talk about what bad may happen? Does that make sense? Oh, I think it's a lot of sense. And, and I maybe in more realistic in the sense of like, I felt like it was important for me to talk about, you know, the reality really early on, you know, when, when we started doing that modeling, I mean, cause it wasn't that I was worried about bringing the cases. Well, it is, it is worried that I'm, it's for us because we bill out of a trust. There's only so much in trust. You know, on the day I started my modeling, you know, we had X dollars in trust. So I assumed we would get zero more dollars. And I'm like, eventually those trust dollars will run out. Like there's nothing I can do about that unless I can bring in more money either by new clients or have other clients replenish. But um, so, I mean, I had those very real conversations early on and I showed them the modeling of, because I did all kinds of modeling around billing, like could we bill less? You know, how can we bill less every week? so that to make that trust amount last longer. Because it wasn't so much about, okay, we have the money in trust now, and if we all do our normal billable work, we could go through it all in a month or two, and then what? So, I mean, I've really talked to them about, you know, prioritizing work and making sure they're, they're thinking about, you know, the trust dollars. Because obviously in a normal scenario, they don't really spend a lot of time thinking about that. And so I wanted them to understand like how it all worked I went through our expenses with them and I showed them, you know, how I could turn $20,000 a month in expenses down to like 4,000. You know, I'm a good disciple of leaders and I mean, always have that mindset of like, you know, shrink down at any moment. And, and so, you know, I'm really hesitant to sign like long-term contracts. I mean, it took me years to sign any contract. I always say Lee like warped my head, but, but it's been really helpful in this, I have to say. 
So I, I do have a question um, about that specifically. Do you, when you when everything returns to normal, and I this is a question I, I sort of asked in the guild. Um, but whenever we we do whatever normalcy is, whenever we return, um, whatever that is, I mean, are you going to go back to the? To, are we? Is it going to be all virtual? I mean, how are you going to do things going forward? Oh yeah, we will stay all virtual. I mean, we you know as a firm have been virtual since February 2015. And we love it. I mean, and I think in our market here in Seattle, you know, Seattle's pretty techie. I mean, most people just don't care to come see me. <laughs> they just want me to fix their family law problem. And if I can do that from afar, that is fine with them. <laughs> and, and I have so, a follow up. And I didn't mean to cut you off. I'm sorry. So sorry about that. But I, I do have a follow up about it because I, I want you to address this for people that can't get past that that mindset part of it. Because there is a mental block for a lot of people that say, I've got to have a physical office. I've got to have a physical office. Can you address that as well? Absolutely. I mean, now we do have a place in downtown Seattle. I mean, it's a, you know, we sublet. And so I mean, we have one little office, like, I don't know, you know, the square footage, but I mean, it's just an office with a desk and, you know, a computer on the desk and just a little office. But then we do have access to conference rooms. So we have access to a physical office. And so, you know, that I do think is important to have some place that you can go, like if you need to, you know, do meetings or whatever. But it is just, it's just not used that much. I mean, because most people just don't, they don't need it, they don't want it, and they don't care. I mean, they're perfectly happy to be serviced virtually. I mean, I have had more family law mediations that I have met the client face to face the morning of the mediation. And, you know, we'll be in some big, tall downtown Seattle building. We'll meet at the Starbucks at the bottom because there's always a Starbucks at the bottom. And I mean, and I'll ask the clients, like, send me their picture. So I recognize that. And we go meet, we drink our coffee and eat our chocolate croissants and, you know, just have a nice time. I mean, we might have already you know, had a big long phone conversation about how to do the mediation. But I mean, we're going to meet, we're going to, you know, break bread together. And that's just my thing around, you know, I really enjoy getting to know people really well. And so I, and I managed to do that virtually. I mean, I go into mediations and settle cases and whether they've ever come and sat in my office just has no bearing on the results. All right, Elise. Any final words of wisdom for people that are feeling stressed out, maxed out, overwhelmed today? I mean, I think breathe. I mean, just breathe and let yourself know that this too will pass and everything will be okay. You're going to have to just let go of some of our, all of us are kind of control freaks. You just won't know exactly what it's going to look like, but it's going to be okay. And I think getting a mantra where you tell yourself that all the time. I mean, I had a mantra and I still do. It's called, I can do it. It's as simple as can be. But I tell myself that all the time. I mean, there's nothing I can't do. I will figure it out. Great stuff. All right. I do want to wrap things up. Before I do, I want to remind everyone to go to the Facebook group, get involved there. Jim and I also started this other little thing called the Maximum Lawyer Guild. If you want to join us there, we would love to have you. And if you don't mind taking a couple minutes and giving us a five-star review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast, we would love it. Jimmy, what is your hack of the week? If you do give us a five-star review, make sure that you recognize who the greatest host is of this podcast. And we all know who that is. Uh, <laughs> for my of the week, 
My hack of the week is stick to your routine and communicate with the people that give you guidance. This is not the time to pull back and to isolate and to be by yourself. Elise is absolutely right that you need to be taking time to breathe every day, but you also need to be in connection. You need to use whatever tools you have to keep your mind right. I had my third video session with my therapist yesterday afternoon, and we worked on some great stuff, solved a couple things for me. And I just want you to keep connected, keep in your routine, do the things that have gotten you in success all the way up to the point that you are today. Keep doing those things. Don't pull back. Don't cut back. Obviously, if there's financial reasons, that's another thing. But to the extent that you can, don't isolate. Stay connected to your fellows. Get involved in the group and and stay strong. Good advice, Jimmy. All right, Elise, what is your tip or hack of the week? I would say it's lighten up on you know, outward focus kind of expectations. I mean, you know, now isn't the time to nag your kids about cleaning their rooms or freaking out about all the little things. And I like with Jim, I mean, but mine is more direct. Stay connected with your significant other. I mean, really check in with them about how they're doing, how you're doing, and have those really, you know, deep conversations. I mean, that is going to help you get through this, knowing that your partner is there right with you. Excellent advice. I love it. Um, my tip of the week is to pick a project. Okay. One project. A lot of you have had a lot of projects that you, you have a list of things that you want to do with your practice and they just sit on the list and never get done because you're thinking about all the things you need to do. Um, I want you to pick a project over the next week and just fi- work on that one project. Maybe it's fixing something. Maybe it's starting something new, whatever it may be. Pick a project and one project and do that one thing over the next week and see how far you get on it. Elise, thank you so much for coming on the show. This has been great. I wish we had more time. I actually have Zoom for it this morning. Otherwise, I would would have loved to have gone longer. But thank you so much. I learned a lot. Absolutely. Good luck in court today. Now it's an easy one. Thank you, though. I appreciate it. (laughs) We'll see you. Thanks for listening to the Maximum Lawyer Podcast. To stay in contact with your host and to access more content, go to MaximumLawyer.com. Have a great week and catch you next time.